Welcome to the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast. My name is Joe, and this week I'm sharing my interview with Julie Petalino. On the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I share interviews every week with people living and working in the custom bike frame building world. It's about perspectives, it's about passion, it's about craft, and it's my goal to get you all excited about frame building. This week, I'm sharing my interview with Julie Petalino. She's a frame builder in mm, Indiana, somewhere in the Midwest. I don't know, I should have asked. But uh, uh, she and I took the same course uh, on like old school custom bike frame building from this guy named Doug Faddock in Niles, Michigan. We weren't in the same session, but we took the same course offering and uh, know, roughly, you know, like five or 10 years ago, somewhere in there. She took it. I took mine in 2010. And um, it's really cool to see what she's done since she took that class and uh, knowing, you know, I know what was taught and what was covered in that class. What she did that's really, I think, remarkable and stands out possibly the most. She's done a lot of interesting things. One of the things that she's done that's really standing out, I think, in the in the small scale, you know, like one person shop, frame building world, you can do more and less ornate, you know, like old school, traditional brazing bike construction. You can get really crazy with like ornate details where you're hand carving and hand filing things. It's like jewelry. And, um, and some people will do that and it's incredibly tedious and slow and she does some of that and it's very beautiful, but she realized how slow and you know not sustainable that would be to try and do that as a business model. And she quickly realized that she could be doing most of that work with robotic CNC milling machines. And so she figured out, you know, with a with a benchtop CNC milling machine, how she could produce uh, like a rough piece and then she could finish it by hand rather than starting with you know needle files and jeweler's saws and putting a huge amount of work into it. And um, there's nobody else really doing that. And, and what's, what I think is really cool about it is it takes the design work that only a human can do that she's very good at. And uh, she spends her time on that and the toiling and the tedium, uh, you know, is minimized, which I think, I think that's the purpose of machines. I think that's the purpose of tools. And uh, I really think it's cool what she's doing, but that's not it. You know, that's, that's not only it. She's also uh, doing custom dropouts for the bikes and machining those. Uh, lots of cool work with paint. And now she's been getting into titanium and custom anodizing and um, really like beautiful and interesting stuff. She has an emphasis on working with uh, cyclists to create a custom bike, especially those people who whose body might not fit ideally on the kinds of offerings you would get from like a local retail bike shop. And we talk about that some, and I feel like that's a really important function that a custom bike frame builder can, can serve. You know, it's a really important need that you can fill. Yeah, and I just, I'm really proud of this interview that I did with her. I think we covered a lot of really interesting topics and I, I think what she's doing is really cool. And um, anyway, here's the interview. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Thanks so much for taking the time to uh, do the call. I think when I was asking about, you know, who should I have on the show, more than one person said they wanted to have 
you know, to hear you on the show. And I think also, you know, you and I have sort of similar paths in some ways. We both took Doug's class. We've both been doing frame building related stuff for, I think, roughly the same amount of years. And, um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, getting into CNC machining and, and that sort of stuff. And it seems like I've identified with myself that I really am always itching to learn a new thing and like get my hands on a new process. And it seems like not every frame builder does that. Some frame builders like a classic style and they just want to work with a torch and hand files and they like keep honing that, but they kind of stay within that little realm. And it seems like Mm -hmm. you're maybe a little bit more my speed where you like doing new stuff all the time. And I, I relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first I just want to say thank you for wanting to talk to me. And I think it's so cool and amazing that people requesting me. It's just, you know, I've, I've, been an artist my whole life and sort of worked in a in a little bubble by myself and to have people paying attention to what I'm doing and excited by what I'm doing is still just a really great treat for me so thank you yeah um and yeah I think you're you're totally correct about that I um I love learning new things I love pushing the boundaries I love exploring and experimenting and um yeah, for me, it's just it's just natural to move beyond kind of like the more classic, uh, simple designs and, and just see how crazy I can make it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, but you took, yeah. you and I both took Doug Faddock's frame building class, which is yeah. very much a classic course. And you know, I was it very, is. very new to bikes, period, when I took that class, but also new to the yep. world of frame building. And, um, and I was really into that at the time. And I've just found myself more and more interested in machines, machine process, yeah. you know, like fixtures and repeatability and, um, and like TIG welding and, you know, pretty straightforward stuff. I don't want it to be yeah. factory volumes or totally soulless, but I, I'm less interested in the ornate like handwork or I still really think it's cool, but I don't particularly feel like doing it and i i love that there are these masters out there you know like i i always think of chris bishop but of course there's a lot of folks who are just so good at it and like i can sit back and and appreciate it and i have a sense of what it takes to do that sort of thing because i've done a little bit but i'm not the Mm -hmm. like i don't need to spend you know so much time doing it and and I really love the other stuff i didn't have an appreciation for like tig welds or something until i had done it and then i'm like oh this is cool yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like, working with Doug was really, was really cool and really great for me too. Um, I learned the basics here with uh, my friend Vincent, who who's a frame builder and used to have a bike shop locally. And mm-hmm. he was so kind and generous and, and taught me um, how to build my first frame and let me use his fixtures, let me use his files, let me use all of his tools. But he's, he's a hand, uh, all this by hand kind of guy. So I learned it you know, the old school way and then went to Doug and learned even more old school. Uh, but Doug, somehow I convinced him to let me do a bilaminate frame in his class. <laughs> well, you had some experience <laughs> going in, right? So Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that helped. Uh, but I think I spent maybe 70% of the time cutting those lugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of late hours in the shop. And so you're that. thinking, how can I do this faster? I need to get a fourth axis yeah. CNC benchtop yep. milling machine. Yeah, exactly. You you do those, you spend 40, 60 hours on a lug set a couple of times and you're like, okay, I love the results of this, but there's got to be a better way to do it. Um, yeah. 
And I just happened to be, again, very lucky to meet my machinist mentor, Warren. Um, He's got a business here called Protocol Designs. He does uh, one-off prototyping work for people. He's got his machine shop there. And he happened to walk in the shop and and see what I was doing and, and immediately was like, you can do this better and faster <laughs> with the help of some machines. Yeah. So yeah, once once I started working with him and, and learning about the machine shop and seeing the CNC mills, it was like, oh yeah, I I can totally see the possibilities that I need to I need to follow uh, follow down this rabbit hole and, and see where it goes. So yeah, the, there's no way to to do it by hand and and have it be in any way sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I mean, really, I think what makes it special is maybe some people would say that like knowing that someone worked so hard and sweat and bled over it, like maybe that means something to some people. I think what matters is like the, you know, like the design of it, like making it like the expression or like, you know, talking, I think it's the customer work, you know, like you, you talk to the the person you're making it for and you get to know them and what they're interested in. And then it ends up being a reflection of like the creator and the artist, but also informed by the person who's going to ride it. And I think it's cool when you can see, you know, you see a little bit of both in there. It's not just um, like buying a, a Van Gogh or something and it says nothing about you. It's like, it's, it's got a little bit of the sort of customer's like interest and, uh, taste baked into what it is that the creator did for sure i mean i i just got to a point where i I had to take a hard look at what i was doing and say okay is is my time better spent filing something for five hours or is it better spent working on the design and the design is something that a robot can't do you know a robot can cut out a lug for me and i'm like okay well let's just take advantage of the technology so i can keep doing this work Yes. I mean, this work is what's interesting and exciting to me. And if I was just uh, making standard bikes with standard parts, I probably wouldn't still be doing it. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you. The working with the customers on a sort of commission basis and and having that conversation with them about what's meaningful to them, what what do they want to express, what's going to make them happy to look at on this bike. Um, that's that's super exciting and fun and yeah the more time I can spend on that the better yeah and I think that's really what makes it a special sort of like transaction or a a special experience or a special product or whatever it is um absolutely like I was saying in I think episode one of this show with Chris Henry about the way that he did Uh his sort of like serial numbers or like you know it's like your lucky number or whatever that goes on the bike but I I love that that. because that was so cool yeah it's a it's sort of a representation of both you know, it's like, it's Chris's bikes all have that. So it's like his form uh-huh. and his scheme. And it ties that in with the individual who gets the bike. And I think like, yeah, yeah it's it's a joint venture because the builder doesn't do anything on their own. Or, you know, you can, right. like once you know how to make a bike and you've made five or 10 or a hundred or a thousand bikes or whatever, like they just don't mean as much to you. Like what's another bike on mm-hmm. the pile of mm-hmm. bikes that you have? And you eventually, I feel like you need to be making it for other people because that's what really gives it meaning. And of course, as a business, like yeah. that's what pays the bills and that's what makes it right. sustainable. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we just can't make a thousand bikes for ourselves and somehow yeah. also pay rent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I, that's what really attracted me to the whole business as well. I mean, I've kind of dabbled in all sorts of different um, artwork mediums throughout my life. And um, just something about the, 
process of working with a person and making something that's super functional and has this power to transform or change their life or, or better their life in some way, I, I think it's very attractive. Yeah, and I think the relationship that you have as a cyclist with the mechanical object that it is your bike, I think that's a way yeah. more special and personal and exciting yeah. relationship than like you know, your relationship with your vacuum cleaner. Like I could shut down making bikes and I could start making vacuum cleaners. And if I worked really hard at it for a while, I might make a damn fine vacuum cleaner. But like nobody is going to have, they're not going to be climbing mountains and like pushing themselves and like being proud of their achievement and getting the endorphins of good exercise and improving their health and like offsetting carbon and whatever it is that bikes do. They're not going to get that from a vacuum cleaner or like, you know, some machinists will make really nice wristwatches and wristwatches and they're beautiful. But like even Mm -hmm. that, like, I don't know, I guess that's kind of intimate because it's on your body, but it just feels like the connection. I think that's one of the really cool things about frame building is that you get to create a super meaningful object. And and then it's also attractive to me because I like mechanical stuff and I like making. And so it, it, mm-hmm. it puts those together that it's like it feels like what you're making is something that's capable of meaning a lot to someone and the process by which it's made is something I love. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. And, um, you know, vacuum cleaners or even a painting or clothing, I, I started, I went to school for fashion. Um, I didn't stick with it, <laughs> but fashion and and you know, like jewelry or, or watches. Yeah. They, you do live with them. You can express yourself with them. Uh, But yeah, there's something really special about the functionality and the power of the bike as a tool, as a means of transportation, as a thing that you actually like interact with and have put energy into and feel connected to it's yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really awesome. It's really yeah. exciting. It's, it's the magic bullet. I, I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now I'm not it even making, <laughs> I'm not making bikes so much now. I'm making tools for folks who make bikes and I love yeah. that too. And it's cool because I'm still in that community and something that's yeah. really satisfying for me is when I make, especially my tube bender. Um, and then I, yeah. I ship that to somebody and then they're posting pictures of the bikes that they made with it. And I'm like, holy cow, that's like way cooler that's than what awesome. I've made. Because I think the, the tube bender actually allows you to sort of explore new territory, whereas the other tools that I make are just helpers that help you do what you probably could have done anyway. They just make your life easier. But like uh, sure. the, the, the guys at Caminade Bikes, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, in France, they made a really just wacky full suspension bike. It's really cool. And you know, a lot of the people that I've sold that to have made really cool stuff that people are making such like beautiful and cool stuff. I'm like jealous of that again for the first time. It's like, I feel like it's inspiring me or doing, doing this podcast too. I'm talking to builders and like in the first and second episodes, it came up where I was talking to uh, Chris and to Bernsey where they had mentioned how satisfying it is, you know, to see the customer on the first ride when you have that opportunity, when they come and pick it up. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. man, I did that like a couple times when I made a bike. I got to be there for the first ride of the customer or the person I made it for, my friend or whatever. And it was like really satisfying or even my own yeah. when I made it for myself. And I'm like remembering, I'm like, dang, that, mm. I, I feel pretty good about what I'm doing, but that grass <laughs> is pretty green. It is so it is so fun and so satisfying. And you mentioned having international customers, and I'm starting to get some of those, too. And it's oh, just like, man, what a what a wonderful world we live in where people all over 
can see what you're doing and are excited about what you're doing and want to be a part of that and support you and you can touch each other's lives in that way. It's just, it gives me chills to think about it. Like I literally have chills. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I have a list here of questions to guide the conversation. Uh And the next thing on the list is um, about painting. I know that you started painting your own bikes I don't know where you learned and when you learned, and are you still painting? Um, so I'm self-taught with the painting, um, and it came out of a necessity of I have ideas. I'm making crazy bikes. I'm making fancy lug bikes, and um, <laughs> it was interesting when I made the first one for a customer, and it came time to get it painted or finished. It's like, okay, now I've made this thing that's very complicated to paint and it's going to be very expensive and a huge headache. So it's like, all right, maybe I need to learn how to paint just to like keep the costs down. Yeah. Um, And also all the ideas that I have, they're so over the top and ridiculous that it would just be, you know, I just didn't have the money to pay somebody to do it. Um, You know, there's wonderful, wonderful painters out there who are so talented and so great at what they do. Um, but you know, when you're just getting started, you you yeah. barely have money to put together the the, the parts kit and the tubes that you don't yep. have another two grand on top. Yeah. To to do your and, crazy idea. So. And I think it's so a matter of cash flow too, because it's like even yeah. if at the end of the process, maybe your time would have been better spent, like just making starting on the next bike or something. It's like you right. don't always have the liquid cash to just like pay for that paint and and you know like maybe you bake that into the down payment and the price of the frame or something but that's something i come up with against a lot is like i can see with the way that i manufacture some of the stuff that i do that like Uh in the long term i should be maybe not doing every single thing myself but in the short term it really helps me because i don't need to have a whole lot of cash on hand and the cash that i do have i can put into like things that there's no other way to do it other than to buy it up front you're trading your time for money, basically. Exactly. And I think, you know, when <laughs> you know, there's somebody with, else who already is a specialist, they already have the shop, they already have gone through the learning curve, a lot of times you're better yeah. off just paying them to do it than you are to do it yes. yourself. But 100%. it requires you to have money. And it's like, you know, if you didn't already yeah. have a bunch of cash sitting around, then like, yeah. yeah. And like you were saying, I think yeah. when I used to consider painting, I, I had a job painting cabinets for a while. I'm not great at spray finishing, uh-huh. but I can do some. And I did a proper automotive finish on one bike frame that I made and it turned out okay like if you look from five feet away it looked nice and or ten feet maybe <laughs> yeah and they had yeah, some I, runs I and you could kind of see the primer through the top coat in one spot but it was decent and I could have gotten yeah. there because my landlords are the cabinet makers and they have a paint booth that I can use and um so that's perfect right but it was I just felt mm-hmm. like it was going to be a long time before I was great at it and I wanted to really have yeah. all the safety equipment and that's expensive and um, I just felt like, for me, I was going to do relatively simple stuff. The the thing that I thought would be the most valuable upside about doing it myself was that I thought that, I don't think I'm a great designer of color schemes and stuff, but I think I could be if I applied myself. I feel like that's something that I could be good at. And I was a little bit excited oh, to I'm like sure. develop that and like flex that, like sort of, you know, yeah. whatever. But like, I didn't, I didn't ever do it. And I think it's probably smart to just uh, hand that off to other people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now. I've got a, a local the guy who can do a wonderful, um, pretty basic one color paint job and then if, if anyone wants anything fancier than that, then I'm gonna work with a, a professional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but you know, 
I've been getting into titanium and part of the reason why I'm so excited about titanium is that anodizing is just um, in a certain, in a certain sense, so much simpler than painting yeah. a lot less time, a lot less. And sanding, you're just using like no sanding, a small amount of DC voltage and water, right? Like there's no, yeah. there's no chemicals yeah. or, yeah. you know, VOCs or, right. I mean, in my conversation yep. with Rudy from black magic paint, there's just safety is a big deal, you know, and not everybody takes it's it that deal. seriously. And I think uh, yeah. Rody from Groovy Cycle Works will tell people the story of, of, you know, like his his bad experience when he was younger, not taking his safety seriously mm. in the paint booth and how that yeah. sort of uh, came to oh. bite him. And uh, it's it's yeah. serious. You know, there's a lot of people who short-term and long-term health effects from not, not looking after yourself. So if you can avoid that, and if it's something that yeah. you're regularly doing throughout, you know, your, your working life, uh, that's valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, the health the health. It's a huge issue. And, you know, I'm just working out of my garage, so we don't have proper ventilation. We don't have good lighting. I've got a pretty good compressor now, but at the time I just, I had a little guy and it just, you know, I just wasn't, I was getting paint like silver sparkles on everything and on all the machines <laughs> and it was just a little bit, yeah. you know, yeah. I had to try it though, you know, just to yeah. get it out of my system. And mm -hmm. now I really even more appreciate what the, what the pros can do with the paint. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's super cool that we can do anodizing and I get, I get to be just as creative and mm -hmm. play with the color and, um, yeah, it's a lot, it's, uh, working out really well. Uh, what's the, what's the story with titanium? Did you just like, you know, figure that out on your own or did you have any guidance or take a class or I, I didn't see any <clears throat> updates about that? Yeah. So, um, three years ago I bought a TIG welder off of a friend Mm -hmm. And it sat in the garage for two years just because, you know, I, I had all intentions to use it. But, you know, I'm busy with 10,000 other things. So I just never got to it. Mm -hmm. um, and my partner, Kurt, just started to pick it up and play around with it and use it. And, and then he got interested in um, after doing some little like sculptural things and ornamental things, he got excited about maybe building a bike. So then he was doing steel bikes and he took a class and kept practicing and kept practicing. And now he's really doing amazingly well. I mean, his welds look fantastic. Wow. Um, so he's helping me with that fabrication. And that's the only reason that I can do titanium. Because uh, again, it's just when you're by yourself and you can relate to this. Mm -hmm. When you're doing everything by yourself, I mean, everything, bookkeeping, social <laughs> yeah. media, photos, yep. design, fabrication, it's a lot. It's a lot. So having that having that extra hand there um, has been a, a huge game changer, and it's allowing me to focus on what I'm good at, which is the design work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're real excited about it. Titanium is such a cool material to work with, and the, there's just a lot of possibilities. Uh, yeah, it, I think so. it's really exciting. You know, I was kind of moving away from making bikes in the last year mm -hmm. or so and more toward machining related stuff. And then now yeah. my sort of business model doesn't really leave me any time to do any frame building. And so right. I do it for creating content for my YouTube channel and so that I can, you know, test my tools and test my, my ability yeah. to like understand, you know, the, the sort of new spaces and, and techniques I never tried before so that I might actually know what I'm talking about and know what I'm doing when I'm designing tools and stuff, but I, I don't have mm -hmm. the capacity to build for other people. And so it'll be a long time before I get to crack into titanium. Seriously. I have a bunch of scrap tubes around I can practice on and I've done nice. that a little bit, 
but um, you know, to actually make a serious effort of it is uh, is slow. And then you know, a lot of people who are even good at welding steel will will take their sweet time, you know, getting really comfortable with titanium because um, you know contamination leads to failure pretty easily, as you know. And it's you know it's it yeah. comes with its own set of um, challenges. You can't just silver braze on the brazons. You have to be able to weld every right. single piece, <laughs> which is tricky for yeah. some of those. And there's a there's a lot of little steps that that are harder. And so. Um, but man, if I would have just kept building bikes, I would have been, you know, beelining or whatever. I would have been yeah. <laughs> shooting right toward it because it's so cool. It's such a nice yeah. material, opens up doors for finishing that aren't available with steel. Um, yeah. You know, that it's a little bit lighter weight, which is nice. There's a lot of things Very about nice. it that I really like. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. corrode. I used to not think that it was that big of a deal if your steel frame could rust because like, come on, what nice bike ever rusts away into nothing, you know, like a nice bike is something right. to take care of. And well, like <laughs> three, four years ago, I made a bike for a friend of mine and I'm proud to say that he rode it really hard. He's very strong That's and he awesome. did a lot of races on it, but he also would commute in the winter on the salted streets and it is done. Okay. So I got it back from him. He's like, wow. I shouldn't ride this anymore. And it was only like three or four years and we didn't, you know, we had powder coat on the outside, which is not as, uh, corrosion uh -huh. resistant is like a good etching primer and yeah it's uh <laughs> it's done so so i mean there's a real benefit to titanium that it can't corrode like that yeah and I, i'm interested in building things that are really gonna last for a yeah, while you know absolutely. we we live in a throwaway world and i don't want to contribute to that so anything that i can do to make a product that will be there for the long haul um is, is something that i'm going to look into for sure so you've been interested in, in like CAD designing mm -hmm. dropouts and uh, the lug sleeves and those sorts of things and doing some machining. I know you had like a little bent top CNC milling machine. And, uh, I do. Yeah. With the different processes, like di did you know anything about solid modeling? And, um, you know, I know you have a different background than just bikes. Uh, was that like a, yeah, how did you enter that? All of that is totally new for me. I mm. didn't, I've never explored any of this kind of stuff. I, the only computer design work I did was Illustrator, Photoshop, that kind of thing. So I had to start from absolute zero with um, learning the modeling software and then learning the CAM software and then learning how to apply all that on the machine and run the machine. Um, so it's been a huge learning curve for me and um you know, one of the questions that you asked me was advice to give my former self, yeah. my past self, uh, which would just be to, to be patient with it. Because there's, there's, it's like a big challenge that I've taken on and mm -hmm. it's okay to had to make mistakes. It's okay for things not to work out, um, but just to keep going and, and um, you know, give yourself a little bit of credit for taking on all of that and doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's that goes for anybody who wants to get into it. Yeah. Um, it's daunting at first, but if you just keep chipping away, um, mm -hmm. and I, I made use of, um, I pay for online videos to help me learn the software. And those have been very valuable. Oh, cool. Uh, which software yeah, do you use? So, um, so I started out with Rhino 3d, which is just, uh, with a, a NURBS modeling, software but it doesn't have any parametric uh capability so after i learned that then i got fusion 360 and that was a huge revelation for me in terms of just designing geometry and designing parts uh, to have the parametric mm -hmm. modeling 
was was great. Um, and then I just started to learn 3ds Max, which is for um, like sub D polygonal modeling, um, so I can get some more organic forms going into my designs. That's so cool. I'm I'm such a novice with CAD actually because I really I could hardly use CAD software. I really didn't know how to use it at all until about a year ago. And I took a like a couple days of classes um, uh-huh. and and just the basics. And so like I, I learned pretty quickly that actually most like old school simple machined parts are really super yeah. easy to draw because it's just like yeah. you do like a two D drawing of like rectangles and li- like lines, yep. arcs, circles, and and then you know you extrude those. You just give them depth. Yep. And then you do another sketch from a different orientation and you, you know, you do that mm-hmm. and you add material or remove material. And so if you look at the tools that I've made, they're all like very simple blocky sorts of parts, cylinders and lines and, you know, straight lines and arcs. And then sometimes I'll look at things that other people are creating. Like I'm thinking of Mark at ProvaCycles is always designing new dropouts uh-huh. for his bikes that he's getting 3d printed yeah. and they have a lot more um yeah. a lot more like organic like swooshiness and like you know they they sort of mm-hmm. flow from like a you know maybe like a like a circle shape where it it meets the end of the dropout but then but then you know over its length or whatever it sort of morphs into something else and there's these sort of smooth bosses that project for like flat mount brakes or something and mm-hmm. i can sort of imagine how you would start to sketch that but i'm very novice with it and um and that's okay for what I'm doing right now because it, it it doesn't need to have those qualities always but um it would be really it would behoove me to be better with that sort of thing and I don't even really know where to start like uh, something I need to work <laughs> on in the in the coming years so that you know when it if I decide that I want to make dropouts or if I decide that I want to design my tools to be prettier or something you know that needs to be an option yeah. for me and I can see that when I see the dropouts that you're posting pictures of. It's like I wouldn't even know mm-hmm. really how to like I could kind of hack my way through sketching some of that, but it's it's very uh, it's more sculpted and it's it's like more beautiful than the kinds of stuff that I can do. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> um, I always start with a drawing, like an actual drawing, drawing. Mm-hmm. So I'll take um, I'll take the basic dimensions, you know, where the hanger is going to go, bolt holes, things that don't change. And then I'll use that as a template and just draw on top of it until I get something that I like. And then I'll go back into the various softwares and and figure out how to actually model that. And there's a lot of uh, trial and error, and it's not a fast process at all. I'm still learning, too. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, the sculptural element is what I think is really exciting. And when I see these um, CNC machines and, and what they're capable of, it's like, Man, you could you could make art with this. You can mm-hmm. make sculptures with this, and and that's something that I'm very interested in pushing forward with yeah. um, in the future. Because you just don't see it. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> Maybe because it's like they're so expensive, and you know, the typical artist just isn't going to have the resources to use that or the huge mm-hmm. learning curve. I don't know what, but... Um, I, I've had a lot of friends yeah. who were, like, art grad students at Syracuse University, and um, they definitely have, like, digital fabrication lab where they have, you know, it's like more of like a CNC mm-hmm. router for cutting foam or mm-hmm. plywood, and they right. have, like, a laser cutter and, like, you know, 3D printing mm-hmm. and stuff. And so, like, I think there's more and more of that sort of, like, in the, in the yeah. art world, but I, I haven't followed it that closely to see yeah. what people are pushing. I think it would be really cool because as someone who likes you know industrial like mechanical things 
but to see that not just strictly for, you know, like a express purpose to like, you know, make somebody money, some, some process that can yeah. work in a factory, but so, you know, something that's just kind of more beautiful or something. I would be interested to see yeah. more of that. And I'm sure some of it exists. I just, I'm not very aware of it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not aware of it either. And what, what I would love to do eventually would be to create some sort of, um, you know, if you think about bronze artists, not every bronze artist has a foundry in their garage, you know, so they have to go somewhere to get their art made. Um, so I'd like to do something similar to a foundry, but instead of that, it's just a machine shop with all these uh, amazing machines and people could come in oh, and you work with them. Um, so they don't have to have all this background knowledge. They could come in with their idea and probably their grant money. <laughs> uh, and we, and we, you would work together to make this thing and, and take advantage of this technology. Um, yeah. Just, just to, yeah, just to make it more accessible to people. Um, yeah. I, I had a hard time with that. that. That's why I bought a CNC machine when I did is because I had gotten a job working at a CNC machine shop thinking I would learn and they just wanted yeah. somebody to press buttons and load parts. And it was so yep. difficult to get any opportunity to learn anything because they just saw that as a yeah. risk that I would break their, they have very nice like Matsura milling machines that, you know, like if uh -huh. you crash the spindle, it's not a couple grand. It's like, you know, 30 grand or yeah. something. It's, it's very expensive. Right. And they, so they didn't want to take any chances on that and they didn't need that. And so, but there was, it was really yeah. difficult to get any chance and I'm in like a mid-sized small city and we didn't have any good maker spaces that I could be like have a yeah. membership with that had a CNC mill. And I was like, well, I have a shop to put it in. I guess I'll just buy one. And then, yeah. And then I started you making tools and it's been to. working. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think in order to get good at any sort of process, like I was thinking about that, like if you want to get good at building bikes, you know, you can study, you can take classes, but like really you got to do it. If you want to get you good at welding, it. you got to do it. If you want to get good at like designing yeah. anything, like whatever it is. And so like, if you aspire to be good at CNC machining, you kind of just need to do mm -hmm. a lot of it and have the machine that's more meaningful than, than most of the rest of the things you could do. Or, I mean, you could work yeah. somewhere, but I think that a lot of places are going to be kind of slow to give you the opportunities to like develop. And if you have it, if you have your hands on it yourself, you know, if, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, if, yeah. I'd be curious for people who are looking to learn TIG welding and, um, you know, I should ask this to different frame builders, you know, do you think it's more valuable to take a welding class or to just buy a machine? Because I feel like that's a question that gets posed regularly. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. what's, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I, um, I can't speak to TIG welding because I haven't done it. That's, that's been Kurt's department. But I can tell you, I get that question a lot about just frame building in general. And my advice to people is to, to take the class. Yeah. Um, it, take the class. You're going to come out of it with a bike that you build that's going to be functional. <laughs> you know, you're not going to go through this process of making three and five bikes that are garbage. Yep. And you don't have to have this huge initial upfront cost of all the tooling and all the things that you need to properly make it. Yeah. So I think the I think the classes are well worth the investment. Absolutely. Yeah. That's generally my thinking. I guess sometimes I also feel like some people are particularly good at like familiar with teaching themselves things. And I think yeah. some people yeah. are more lost without it. And so I think it, it's a little bit, or like some people are, you know, maybe they're a parent and they work full time and like vacation is precious mm -hmm. and they can't, they can't leave mm -hmm. to go to UBI. And so that, that'd be the caveat. But I do think, yeah, generally the classes are really valuable and, and I would agree with that. Yeah. 
I mean, no matter what you're going to pay, whether it's with yep. your time or your, your money or in materials, you're, you're going to pay. So it just depends on, yeah. I guess, what the, what the person's expectations are, you know, like how they learn, what they're comfortable with, that kind of thing. But Absolutely. I think the classes are definitely worth it. Um, another, another question I had on the list here is what do you think are the most meaningful differences between mass produced and handmade bikes? And, uh, you know, I think a lot of it is in the service and working with the customer, like we were talking about listening, educating, customizing your process, maybe humoring them sometimes. Yeah. Uh, the product yeah. is also obviously different. Uh, you know, what is it about a handmade bike that you think people can't just get from a mass produced bike? Um, so the biggest thing for me, as far as custom bikes go, are building bikes for people who don't fit within the average size range of what you can go out to a store and buy. Um, I work with a lot of small riders, but this applies to really tall people too. Um, but you know, it's just hard to go out and buy a production bike that fits well for a small, small person. And so what I can bring to the table as a custom builder is I'm going to look at the rider, uh, their their height, their weight, their riding style. I can customize the tube set uh, based on all that information. We can talk about wheel sizes. I'm a huge believer in proportional wheel sizes. For So for shorter people, that's going to be 650B, 650C for road bikes. Um, you know, we can get them on a bike that has the ride characteristics of an average size bike, but with, you know, uh, without making all the compromises that uh, production bikes have to, yeah, because there's you know there's stuff in the giant wheels on a small frame is yeah. just you know something's not gonna something's not gonna be great. Yeah, because when they do a size run of whatever bike, the frame gets smaller, but you know yeah. maybe the crank arms get smaller, the stem, but the wheel is the same. The wheel size is the Tubes same. Are, yeah. Yeah. And the fork rake is the same and this, you know, a lot of things yeah. and that's just what they have to do to, for their business model. And it's like, okay, fine. But you know, a lot of people are kind of left out in the cold with mm -hmm. some people just can't even find a bike that fits them at all, even if it's, yeah. you know, highly compromised bike. So yeah. Or, you know, that's, like terrible toe overlap and, um, yeah, you know, the not very yeah. good standover clearance. Yep. Yeah. 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 Or crazy high bottom brackets and, yeah. you know, just, Weird, weird things that they do to make it work. Um, and so that that's the biggest thing for me. And then, you know, like we've been talking about is this whole idea of talking with the client and helping them build something that is valuable and meaningful personally to them. You know, it's a form of self-expression and it's a tool. So we kind of like tick all those boxes as custom builders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's just yeah. something that, you know, you could get really good customer service from a retail bicycle shop, possibly, and sure. they could really, like, take care of you, but it's a different experience uh, with a yeah. different amount of yeah. time spent, a different amount of education given, uh, yeah, like yeah. a different sort of, yeah. Yeah. Process. And I go, I mean, I probably go a little overboard with this. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how other builders do it, but I have a, a really wonderful um experienced bike fitter his name is Mike Irwin and we work together with clients so that they come in they don't just get sized for a new a new frame they get a full on bike fit on their current bike and then 
if we make changes, they go out and ride that bike with the changes. And then with that information, I can go in and um, tweak their, their geometry for their new bike based on all of that. Wow. So for me, it's, it's about providing the, the most comfortable ride for them, the best product that I can, the thing that suits, suits their purpose and their desire as, as, as best as possible. And I don't think that you can really get that if you walk into no. a, <laughs> you know, someone might do a real basic fitting on you or they might look at you or ask you how, ask you what yeah. your enzyme is and, and that's about where it ends. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of people get on bikes that just don't fit them too big, too small, you know, too, too aggressive, mm-hmm. not aggressive enough. Um, so you work with a custom builder, you, you get that extra level of, of care. Yeah. Um, when you're working with a customer and it's a particularly, I think most of your work is, you know, has a pretty, uh, serious aesthetic component with the, with the lugs and and the paint and stuff. Do you prefer Mm -hmm. a process where, where they have like a real clear idea of what it is that they're after? Or do you like when you're, you know, given more free reign over the project? Um, I like it when they have ideas. You know, because their ideas give me ideas, and then we go someplace that I wouldn't have gone on my own. You know, uh-huh. so a little bit of a little bit of guidance and somewhat of a brief is actually very valuable. And you know, for instance, I'm going to be working on a frame. Well, I am working on a frame for a client in California who's a biologist, and she gave me uh, some ideas about. A, a fancy lug bike with lugs that are based on these biology images that's so cool <laughs> zinc zinc fingers i don't know i don't really even know what they are but the p- images she showed me were really exciting and um yeah i think we're going to come up with something super cool based on that and i would have never looked up zinc fingers on my own or yeah. known what that was so yeah it's, it's exciting to work with someone else uh, in that way that's so cool so those, that that aesthetic will be built into the dropouts of the frame or into the into, so we're going to do a look by laminate lugs. Cool. And so it'll be, yeah. Yeah, I've got some <laughs> more crazy ideas planned, but if I can pull them off, it's going to be pretty wild. That's so cool. Uh, so <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, another question I had on the list is, if you feel like, if you care to talk about it, is like what what it's been like for you to be a woman in an industry that is predominantly uh, you know, male dominated, uh, and I don't know, like if you had any sort of, if you wanted to talk about those experiences or if you had any sort of advice, um, to other folks who are dealing with the same sort of thing, uh, you know, about Mm -hmm. how to, how to make that a little bit smoother or easier of a, of a sort of experience, you know, like, you know, where to find community or I don't know. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it is kind of a, it is kind of a bummer that our industry isn't more diverse and even um, outside of the industry, just local bike rides and whatnot around here, they, they tend to be pretty one note. Um, But I live in the suburbs. So (laughs) if you go downtown, it's a little more exciting. Um, But, you know, honestly, I've, my experience is atypical because I, I already worked from home. I've been a small business owner for quite a while now um, so I just started another small business out of my house, out of my garage. So I don't 
interact with a huge corporation or, you know, I have managers and have people I'm working with. I don't even work um, in a bike shop, but I know a lot of people experience some unfortunate treatment just in a bike shop environment. So I've been actually very sheltered um, from all of that, which I feel super grateful and lucky for. Um, But it's hard for me to say, you know, what sort of things have I experienced? Because honestly, it's been positive for me. People have been uh, very helpful, uh, open with advice, willing to to sort of take me on and teach me and um, very, very generous in that way but i don't that that's not what most people most women or uh, non-binary folk or you know people who are the typical dude they don't get that so mm-hmm. as far as you know like how to make it better for everybody it's something that i think about a lot and i don't I, i'm not sure what the answer is besides to just sort of keep it keep talking about it keep thinking about it if someone if you notice somebody treating someone in a in a crappy way to try to maybe talk to that person, I don't, I, I really don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Answers are hard, you know? They're really hard. I mean, on a, on a personal level, I'd love to grow the business and be in the place where I could help other people get into it and provide opportunities for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, uh, but on like a wider worldwide societal level, I just, I really don't know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, feel like I, huge... I I haven't oh. seen a whole lot in the in the like frame building world that is like overtly egregiously um, like sexist on a regular basis. But you know, there's I yeah. mean, it's 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 kind of everywhere in the world. That there's a little <laughs> bit of that, it's and um, and mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I mean, like that's just kind of a hard thing to deal with when you know if you identify that like you know, custom bicycle frame building exists and it really appeals to you and you want to do it. And then you look at the population of people who are interested in this hobby and and craft and trade and you don't see yourself represented. And then maybe you go to a trade show and like people are saying weird and creepy stuff to you or like discouraging stuff, you know, like, um, I don't know. So anyway, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to like, um, any advice for people, but it seems like, um, you've, you, yeah. I think the more of us that are out there giving it a go and out there uh, being public and putting ourselves in the public eye or up on social media and sharing what we're doing, the more people that'll see it and maybe that'll inspire or make people feel a little bit more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other comment is like, you mentioned the trade show and it reminded me, uh, I went to NAVS a few years back and happened to get uh, written up by Anna Schwinn about my bike and she's awesome and wonderful and a huge uh uh advocate for people in the industry and the in the cycling world and just in general mm-hmm. for equality she's she's amazing and inspiring yeah for sure. Um, but anyway she wrote an article about me and i made the mistake of reading the comments on bike rumor oh, no. <laughs> it's like do not read those comments people <laughs> never read the comments but you know we shouldn't yeah. I mean, uh, it's kind of like the reality of the world we live in. And then it's also like, we shouldn't settle for a world where you can't read the comments. <laughs> That's yeah, unacceptable. It's, just, it's funny. If you're it's listening funny. to this Everyone podcast just... and you're one of those people who does that in the comments, yeah, I... you need to, you need to change your ways. You need to, uh, snap yeah, out of it. Yeah, you need to quit it. Yeah. yeah it's a little weird. Cut Everyone it that out. shows to my face has been nice. 
and like very kind. And everyone on my personal social media pages, I've not gotten any kind of hate. Well, I did get one hater thread in Facebook, and I'm like, yeah, man, I made it. <laughs> There's a big like hater thread about me on Facebook. Cool. But yeah, it's just those weird, those like couple steps removed social media comment, yeah. internet comment people that that want to make a bunch of noise and be and be jerks, which is yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything else that you, you would, I mean, people who are listening to this, I imagine predominantly are folks who are interested in frame building and maybe people tuning yeah. into this specific episode because they follow your work. Uh, is there a message that mm-hmm. you have for anyone or, 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 or is there anything that you're, you're working on that you're excited to share news about? Um, I think I'd love, I, I'd love for more people to get into it and for more people to get creative with it and, and think sort of outside of the box about technology and be daring in that way and try out new things and share your work. And the more, the more that we do and the more that's out there, the better it is for everybody, I think. So the, the bigger we can grow frame building, uh, the, the better it's going to be. So I just love to encourage more people to get into it and try it and explore and and yeah be excited i think that's great advice i love that enthusiasm i think that uh frame building is interesting because it it seems like most people in frame building just want more other people in frame building and like they're excited by that and you'll hear some people say like oh it's it's getting too big it's oversaturated there's all these new builders I think most people who are actually doing it, who are in the trenches, are like pretty excited about it, and yeah. they, they like see. You know, it's not like a competitive thing where you feel like uh, any like a zero sum game or something where any other yeah. people doing it are going to take away from your ability to like sell it or express yourself or something. Because I think there's an alternative narrative, which is like anyone who's smart and creative can create their own space. And like, we don't need to yeah. fight over scraps. Like the more people at the party, the more fun we're all going to have or something. You know, like the more yeah. we can uh, it, like stoke exa- each other's yeah. fires. Exactly. You know, I, I work really hard within myself to not come from a place of scarcity mm-hmm. and to just believe that there's enough, there's enough. And it's true. There's enough for everybody. And um, yeah, what, you said something that I was like, yeah, that's right. But now I can't remember what it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the bigger the party, the better. And the, the better it is for our own creativity and our own inspiration. And the, the, we'll push each other. And yeah, we don't have to fight for scraps because there's plenty, there's plenty of actual meals. <laughs> yeah, I think there. it was Carl you know? Strong said in an interview once that I... I always love uh, any any interview of Carl Strong's. I've I've tried to find and read and listen to. I think it's great. But um, he had something. I think it was him was saying like it's it's useful to think it's not like us like as frame builders versus each other. If there's an us versus mm-hmm. them, it's like sort of like us versus the treks and the specialized. Yeah, which exactly. maybe exactly. Yeah, and I maybe wouldn't wholesale always agree with that because bikes are cool. You know, like anybody who shows up to a ride, true. riding anything, that's cool true, too. True, but true. like, but in terms of business model, it's like <laughs> they are sort of. I do like to compare and contrast them because I think the product is different and the experience is different, and because of the product and the the experience are different, it allows everything about them to you know like like the the, your goals are different and you know what 
what yeah. kind of waste you generate and like, you know, what kind of care and like what the people think yeah. of the finished product. I think everything is different and I feel like it opens up a lot of really cool possibilities. And so that's one way that I think is fair to compare and contrast them. Definitely. Yeah. And you know, I've shared, that's one thing that I would like to put out there to any aspiring frame builder or any frame builder, or just anyone in general who's curious about what I'm doing. I'm happy to share any and all information. Um, if I teach you how to make Bylam lugs with my process and, and you go out and do it, you're going to do something totally different than whatever I would do. So it's, yeah. I'm not, I, I'm not really jealous about my information in that yeah. way. And I think it's really like, like you said, it's a really wonderful part of the frame building community is that most people are yeah. the same way and they're just willing to share. It's a very common theme, I think, that I was surprised about. I always felt like I was wasting people's time if I would ask mm. them questions and like reach out to them. And I don't know what gave me that idea. I guess it's just because we live in a society that tends to like talk in terms of scarcity and like in terms of competition yeah. so much. But uh Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it really is refreshing that like the frame building world, I mean, part of it is maybe that a lot of people are hobbyists and so you wouldn't be threatening mm -hmm. them because they're a hobbyist, you're a hobbyist or something. But even I feel like the people who make their living selling a product to a defined group of people, they're still happy to like <laughs> help and share a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, I'm so glad that you took the time to be on the show. Uh, thank you so much. I, I appreciated it. I hope the listeners appreciated it. Hopefully we're doing the show long enough that we can circle back and catch up with you in a, in a year or two. Um, and until then, I'll be doing all the great interviews I can. But thanks so much for, uh, for being on the Excellent. show. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, cool. Talk soon. All right, man. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this week's show. I hope you super enjoyed it. Uh, already there's a theme establishing with this podcast where uh, I just, I'm so glad that I, I get to have these conversations with different folks, people who maybe I met them once or twice at a trade show and I see their social media. Um, but you know, we never like chat on the phone or anything. And, uh, that's a mistake, you know, having this regular, um, sort of phone call interaction with different frame builders is really just boosting my perspective and awareness about a lot of different things and it was really proving very valuable to me, and I'm glad that I can share it with, with everyone who cares to listen. Next week, we have a bombshell of an interview. I've already recorded this one. comes out next Monday, of course. This one is with Rudy from Black Magic Paint in Portland, Oregon. And uh, it's really interesting because Rudy uh, is a frame builder or has been a frame builder. He's not operating in that capacity right now, but he's running a paint business doing some of, you know, just some of the best, most beautiful paint work. Uh, and it's not just him. He has a business partner or two and uh, maybe another an employee. And so they do just top mark paint work, but he has uh, built about 30 bike frames. And, uh, you know, so he, he has a pretty good understanding of, of frame building, right? And he's painting these bikes, and they get such a wide variety of, of bikes that come in. They get uh, bikes from small production shops like Moots, and they get stuff from people who, you know, maybe they just took a frame building class, and it's the first bike frame they've ever made, flaws and everything. They get all sorts of stuff that comes in the door, and he's just got a really interesting perspective because he sees so many different things and his story is interesting. And we just had a hell of a time chatting. Interview went real long. So I got to 
see if I can trim the fat or I don't know, maybe I'll just put up the whole thing. But um, anyhow, that's what you can look forward to on next week's episode of the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast. <laughs>